Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're up and running again. So smooth, so sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort, 4,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet. Nobody picks him up. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Wonder Goal, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Leboff, and joining me today to talk about some Champions League, some midweek EPL, and even a little Europa League are my friends and colleagues, BJ Cunningham and Anthony DeBundo. We'll start with Liverpool and Inter Milan. This game is taking place at Anfield. Liverpool's odds on minus 180. Inter Milan plus 475. The draw here is 340. Liverpool won 2 0 in the first leg away. Uh, it's San Siro, so it's a pretty big hill for Inter to climb here. They're twelve to one to get out of the round of sixteen and pull the upset. However, despite Liverpool being unbeaten in, in fifteen games, uh, they looked a little shaky against West Ham, I would say. And and I think that some defensive regression is coming for uh, the Reds. They're seven zero and zero in their last seven games in the Premier League with just two goals against, but nearly six expected goals against. Uh, so I do think we could see Inter get on the board here. Anthony, what about you? You know, I, I really wanted to pass here. And if we were dealing with like a nil-nil or, or if this were tied, I probably wouldn't play this uh, because I really just just have a fear of betting against Liverpool at Anfield in the Champions League. But I bet Inter in the first leg and lost. I still feel like that was a good bet. I'd bet it again. They only had 14 shots, Liverpool did, and only 0.7 expected goals. If you go back the entire season, 14 shots. They've only had five games all year. They've had fewer than that. One of them, they played a bunch of backups against Porto. Uh, and that's also the, the second fewest expected goals they've produced in a game all season. Both goals came off set pieces. Deserved win, you could argue, but I think Inter would be pretty hard. We're pretty hard done by to not get a point there. Uh, total carries and passes into the penalty area were 12, 11 in favor of Liverpool. Possession was pretty even. It wasn't like Inter was played off the park or outclassed or couldn't compete. Uh, and now they go on the road. They have nothing to lose. And that could play into Liverpool's hands on the counterattack. But Liverpool also just weren't effective at all on the counter in the first leg whatsoever. So I'm, I'm taking Inter plus one and minus 110. I think they keep this competitive. I think a draw would be perfectly fine for Liverpool to go through and they'll take it if it's tied late. It's not like Liverpool is going to be pushing numbers forward to try to go win the match. They don't need to. And I think that definitely factors in. And, and Michael mentioned it. I mean, <laughs> you didn't even count the League Cup final which I'm still mad about 1.8 expected goals for Chelsea. They hit two posts, missed multiple big chances. Uh, and then at the weekend, I mean, West Ham had an open net after a couple of bizarre sequences and really probably should have got on the board in that game as well. 1.5 expected goals. Uh, Liverpool's defense continues to never concede anything. Same with another team in the Premier League who's driving me nuts right now. But, uh, you know, I think Liverpool's clearly the better team. My numbers are actually pretty close, but because of the situational aspect where they don't need to win. I'm grabbing Inter plus one here. I also think uh, Inter, they couldn't quite get Dzeko in behind against Liverpool's high line. I think they might make some adjustments uh, and they really found a lot of success in behind Alexander. 
Arnold uh, with Perisic getting in there. I think they can definitely repeat that and, and go, go there and try to get a goal or two to cover. Yes. This has been the, the kind of betting narrative around Liverpool all season, right? The, the price is definitely inflated. Um, and that's across like all the derivatives as well. Uh, and it's, do you want to just square out and take the easy road, which hell it might win. And it has won seven times in a row for Liverpool uh, in the premier league. Or do you, think maybe you're betting the numbers. I, I think both teams to score minus 140 right now. It's a little expensive, but I was looking that way. And I think uh, I'll end up having a piece of enter on the money line and maybe just a, for fun, little taste of the 12 to one to qualify. Because uh, there's something coming for Liverpool at some point, whether it's against Inter or some a team in the Premier League, someone's going to pay off at a big number against them because they, even against Norwich City, right? They went behind and uh, then they, they did look shaky against West Ham. So I think there's probably going to be an opportunity here to cash in pretty big against the Reds. Uh, BJ, anything for you here before we move on? No, I, I'm going to pass. If I played anything, I'd be with Anthony on an inter plus one. Problem I'm having with it is, yes, obviously Liverpool was a tad fortunate to win 2 nothing, but Liverpool's DNA is not just going to say, hey, let's just sit back and defend for 90 minutes and just play for a 0-0 draw. If you look back through Champions League's past, you know, last season against Leipzig, they went up 2 nothing in the first leg won the second leg 2 nothing back in 2018-19, beat Porto 2-0 in the first leg, and then beat them 4-1 in the second leg. They're just not going to sit back and defend for all 90 minutes. Now, they might sit back and say, hey, we're going to hit them on the counter, but Klopp consistently in these type of matches still goes full press, full board, even though it is a 2-0 scoreline. So I'll ultimately be passing. Inter, kind of weird form right now. Uh, they obviously, you know, smoked Salernitana on Friday, but before that, they didn't score in, in four matches, uh, but did create over five expected goals in those matches. Also, Nico Barea didn't play in the first leg because he was suspended. He will obviously be huge for Inter in the second leg. He's second in the team in expected assists and progressive passes. So definitely leaning towards Inter plus one, but Liverpool uh, consistently always makes me scared. So I'll just sit back uh, and let Liverpool win 3 nothing. The other game on Tuesday, both of these are 3 p.m. kickoffs on either CBS or CBS Sports or Paramount Plus, I guess it's called now. By the way, it's been great that there have been Champions League soccer in the middle of the afternoon on CBS proper. Soccer finally has arrived. But the other match on Tuesday, Bayern Munich, they are prohibitive minus 525 favorites against RB Salzburg, who are 13 to 1 on the three way money line. The draw here is 7 to 1. Bayern's minus 1,200 to advance Salzburg 7-1, despite the fact that these two teams drew 1-1 in the first leg of this fixture. Once again, just bears reminding, away goals has been chalked off from the uh, Champions League rules. So it's just a straight-up aggregate between across the two legs. Bayern Munich's in weird form. They're 2-2-1 win-draw loss in their last five uh, in those matches. We're talking about the match against Salzburg. Uh, and Leverkusen, those both draws. And then uh, they lost to Bochum as well in the Bundesliga. So it's not really a bad time to be going against Bayern Munich, I would say. Whether you want to do that with a team coming out of the Austrian Bundesliga remains to be seen. I think that this game and it's still a square has goals written all over it. And I don't mind going for like an alternate total. I thought so f- over five and a half at f- over four to one, because uh, I could see this game ending four two five two. Bayern being able to cover that almost by themselves or at least do the heavy lifting. So that's where I'm going to be looking, maybe look at a little bit on Salzburg here. Um, Anthony, do you see any path to success here for the Austrian underdogs? 
I kind of do. I I think people are overreacting a little bit to what happened in the first leg. Byron went on the road and got a draw. They'll probably come home. They'll probably win this match. Uh, But that being said, I still think the price is a bit inflated on them. Salzburg has the recipe of a team who can cause problems on the, on the counter and in transition. And that's pretty much what they did. I'm just not sure what's wrong with Byron. I think there's a few things. One early in the season, the numbers they were putting up, were ridiculous. You know, we talked about, it. they were like plus two expected goals per 90 different uh, you know, that's just absurd. And it's probably hard to sustain that level of performance over a 38 or 34 game season plus the champions league. And, and what we're seeing is just natural that, you know, they're coming back down to earth a little bit, but it also could be personnel related. And this is where I think Byron are kind of figuring things out. They played three at the back in the first meeting. They had no problems getting the ball through the middle of the pitch and getting it up toward the, you know, the final third, the penalty area, but when they lost the ball, they were extremely exposed. And whether it was Adamu or our guy, Brendan Aronson, they had a lot of ability to run in behind and in the channels and get pretty much right through this defense, uh, especially in behind the wing backs because they were playing Coman and Gnabry as the wing backs with then Sané coming in later in the game. So it's just a weird thing. And I think they tried to address it on Saturday when they played Leverkusen because they know how dangerous Leverkusen is in similar ways up the wings. And they played four at the back. Omar Richards came in at left wing or left back. And then they played a, a two center backs with Upamakano returning to the team. And they still conceded a ton of chances. 1.8 expected goals. They've now conceded eight in their last six in all competitions. And that includes matches against Greuterfurt, uh, Bochum, you know, not exactly the top tier of the Bundesliga here, including, uh, you know, they did play Leipzig and Leverkusen. So there, there's something wrong with this with this defense, and I really think it comes down to Davies has not been there, and they don't have depth at left back, and Goretzka has not been there, and they don't have depth in the center of the midfield. So I think Salzburg can hang around. You know, I'm, I'm fearful that this could get two or three if it gets late and Salzburg's pushing for goals, and then Bayern just crushed them on, on the counter. But at two, I'm going to take it because I just think it's a little inflated. Uh, and I, I think, you know, Bayern's regression is real. I mean, they on, they've only out – created their opponents about 13 to eight in the last six matches, which is not very Bayern like. And I think we're, we're going to continue to see them come down to earth. I'm, I'm very confident they are not one of the two best teams in the world right now. Yeah. They have been playing like that too. Uh, that kind of take has borne out in the results. I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'd be interested to see where the market goes here. Cause I do think a lot of people will be on Salzburg, maybe not your casual fans, but I do think we'll see some money come in on the underdog here. And I know BJ, you're leaning that way. You're a sharp guy. So Maybe you're thank the one you. to set the market. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with Anthony. I like Salzburg plus two. You know, if you look through the box score of Byron versus Salzburg, you'd probably say, oh my gosh, Byron pretty much dominated the entire match. I think a lot of it was indicative of Salzburg scoring first and early enough. They kind of sat back in their two little blocks and just tried, they just really tried to defend like hell and see the match out. And it almost worked, but, you know, Byron ended up with 71% possession, but they did only create two big scoring chances, you know, 2.1 expected goals off of 22 shots. A uh, Bayern usually averages around three and a half big scoring chances per match in the Bundesliga. So Salzburg, we, we talk a lot about these smaller sides who are not used to having the ball in their domestic leagues, used to dominating some of their lower sides uh, domestically, but Salzburg does play out of a 4-4-2. So at least they have that type of defensive structure and they can actually defend and sit back and try to hit Bayern on the counter. We've talked about it a couple times, but when these two teams met last Champions League group stage, Salzburg actually kind of dominated Bayern Munich in Munich uh, in the first meeting. They created 3.2 expected goals compared to only 1.3 for Bayern, and Bayern 
somehow walked away with a 3-1 win. But I think the most important thing here is Anthony the nail on the head. No Manuel Neuer, no Alfonso Davies, and no Goretzka is causing some problems. Obviously, Bayern has a lot of depth, and they can replace those guys, but those guys are pretty valuable to what Bayern tries to do. As far as a projection standpoint, I only have Bayern projected at minus 1.3. So Salzburg plus two at even money is, is definitely a decent price. And I think the thing with Bayern is right now they're they're pretty much safe in the Bundesliga. They're probably going to win it once again. They have a nine-point lead over Dortmund, but Dortmund does have a, a game in hand. So you could see them putting th- everything all in here in the Champions League. But I'll be honest, Salzburg, just from the eye test, they looked really good <laughs> against Bayern. So uh, I, I'm, all, I'm all on the Austrian team here. So Salzburg plus two at even money. Yeah, they're very young. They press, they can run for hours. They don't really, they're not the kind of team who's going to run out of gas and let Bayern kind of just cook them in the last 20 minutes. Uh, Their profile of a team, you know, pretty good defensive pressing team. I still have questions about the attack, but Bayern's been so bad defensively that I think they naturally can create a few chances. And I I was pretty concerned. I mean, BJ and I both had Bayern over the weekend. (laughs) That bet was was, was dead. Even, you know, they were a one nil. that was a fluky own goal. And then even then it wasn't great. Yeah. I mean, Leverkusen easily could have scored another one or two in the second, uh, in the second half. So they're just, you know, I'm not sure what it is, you know, and I think, you know, with Davies coming back, they'll get better, but th- just shoving all the good attackers on the pitch and then seeing what happens has not worked for Nagelsmann. So uh, I'm interested to see what the lineup is. I think it's going to be interesting. They're going to play four at the back, three at the back. I mean, no matter what they play, I think Salzburg showed that they can compete in this, in this tie. Does uh, also Ben mentioning that, Bayern, they're going to be priced as one of, if they do advance, as, as the odds suggest that they should, they will be priced as one of the two, three favorites, along with Liverpool and City for the quarterfinals. So a uh, potential opportunity to fade them in that round as well. We'll see what the draw is. Yeah, exactly. For depending it. on who, who, who they play if they get through. All right, let's move to Wednesday. Real Madrid, they're plus 160, hosting PSG plus 165. The draw here is plus 255. In Madrid, PSG won the first leg one nil on a Kylian Mbappe moment of magic, and that has pushed them to minus three hundred to advance. Madrid is plus two twenty five. I think um, for most of the season we've been pretty harsh on this PSG team. For uh, I think we could it'd be fair to say that we thought they were a paper tiger. I think that tune maybe is changing a little bit. Is that right, Anthony? I mean. They went out and had like three pretty mediocre performances and, you know, after the huge win against Real Madrid, right. They go and they play Nantes that, that weekend they lose, they created four expected goals, lost three, one. It was a bizarre hangover spot. Okay. Whatever. They had a, a solid three, one win against Saint-Étienne did concede first struggled a little bit, then kind of clicked into gear in the second half. Then they lose to Nice uh, over the weekend, a pretty flat performance. One of their worst of the season in attack at least. And so now everybody, you know, you say, okay, what's wrong with PSG or are they just kind of like in cruise control? And that's really the existential debate. I think last year there were legitimate concerns with PSG because they're, I mean, they were in a title race and they weren't putting up good numbers in Ligue 1 and they didn't win the league. Now I think when you consider the form they had leading up to the match against Real Madrid and then how they played in the Real Madrid match, I'm okay with the fact that they had three subpar performances immediately thereafter. If you look at the choices Pochettino made in the first leg, 4-3-3, everybody said Messi kind of looked like he's over the hill. Well, he had uh, five key passes, 11 progressive passes, was one of the best, you know, ball progressors in the, in the, in the whole match. Uh, Paredes was unbelievable when you look at his numbers in terms of ball progression through the midfield. Uh, and uh, Danilo offered a good amount of defensive work as well. So it, they kind of found the balance. 
Uh, you know, Verratti is one of the best all-around midfielders in the world. They found a balance that I think really bothered Real Madrid. The question is now, does Real Madrid come back and say, okay, well, now we're, we're the team chasing the goal. In the first leg, it was easy for Real to sit back. They had three shots, 0.1 XG. Their only legitimate shot came off of a corner right before halftime. So they didn't need to, they didn't need to score. They were achieving their result for the first 93 minutes. I don't know what it looks like when Real Madrid has to come out and play now, though, because I think PSG might just counter the hell out of them. And I think it could get really ugly for Real Madrid if their fullbacks are caught way up the pitch and PSG is all of a sudden uh, able to do their PSG things. They did to Bayern last year. They did it to Barca uh, and really did it to City in certain parts of that first leg. So I think PSG, I lean that way. I don't have a pregame play here. If Real scores first, I'm going to be hopping in on some PSG live to advance PSG in every which way. Um, I certainly lean toward PSG. I just, I, I'm not buying Real Madrid. I haven't, you know, as much as I've been a critic of PSG through most of the fall, they've seen improvement. The Real improvement, it's there, but I still have question marks about them chasing here where I think it could play right into PSG's hands. Yeah, three three wins on the spin since their loss to PSG for Real Madrid. Eight goals for one goal against. The underlying metrics in those matches are good, but uh, yeah, this is a likely a pass for me. I don't hate the draw here. I think it, neither one of these teams is built to run away with uh, this match. So the draw should always be in play. We'll see where that number goes, though. BJ, uh, you are thinking goals. Yeah, it was uh, interesting, Real Madrid's game plan. I did not expect them to come out uh, just basically sitting back defensively and just letting PSG have the ball for the majority of the match, given how bad they've really been defensively throughout most of the season. So now they're going to have to come out. They're going to have to play. And what the, what was more shocking in that first one is that it's it's fine to sit back defensively and try to beat somebody on the counter. Like, that's that's not a horrible game plan, especially against a team like PSG. But Real Madrid was just so sloppy in that type of transition. You know, 58% of their possessions were in transition, but only 4% of them ended up in PSG's final third. And so, basically, they had around – they had zero expected goals in transition and – Vinicius Jr., Modric, and Benzema combined for 0.09 expected goals plus expected assists. That is not going to get a ton against PSG. So with Real Madrid having to come out and having to play essentially on the front foot for this match, Anthony hit the nail on the head. It's going to create a – PSG might just score two, maybe even three goals in transition because no Casemiro is incredibly vital for Real Madrid because he is the one who protects – their back line, no Tony Cruz. That also is horrible for Real Madrid. And then no Ferlan Mendy. So a lot of problems for Real Madrid defensively in this one. But at that same token, they've looked really good offensively. I'm curious to see what PSG is going to do in this match. Uh, my guess is probably sit deep and then look to hit on the counter. So uh, my guess is this will probably end up being somewhat of an open match uh, with Real Madrid having to really be on the front foot, trying to get the ball into the, into the box. Uh, I think we're going to see some goals, uh, a lot of high quality chances at both ends. I have 3.3 goals projected. So I like over three goals at plus plus one ten. The other match on Wednesday is a pretty awkward one. Man city. They won five nil against sporting Lisbon in the first leg. And so this is, this one's done and dusted still, even with a B maybe C squad coming from man city, they're minus six fifty favorites at home. Lisbon is 15 to one at DraftKings right now. The draw is eight to one. I saw sporting as high as 20 to one. That was at Caesars here in New York. Uh, I'm not going to pass on that because it, what there's no imperative for, and, and this is a debate we can have 
all the time in these set spots with what good does Pep get out of risking any players here uh, at all? He's there in a title race in the Premier League. They have no nothing going on here. So I just I I if I was him, I would play the U23 side. They're not gonna lose five nil. So um I'll be taking a bite on on sporting 20 to one uh, on the money line. Or if it goes higher, good for me. Uh BJ, you look uh beside yourself. He won't he won't do that though. That's the crazy part, is that they're up five nothing. He's not going to do that. He might rotate like he might bring in like Ake or something. He might play Raheem Sterling instead of Jack Grealish, but it's still going to be a pretty A squad for Manchester City, which makes absolutely no sense, but he's still going to do it. They have Crystal Palace coming up this weekend in the Premier League uh, on the road, which is a pretty big match for them, uh, especially in the title race. So you'd think maybe play Cole Palmer, maybe play some of the, other, like you said, the U23 guys, but that's not going to happen. So I'm going to give this match a big old who cares, and I'm going to move on to another one. <laughs> Anthony, uh, anything for you here? Yeah, I passed. Uh, easiest pass on the board. I mean, look, there's a great game. Real Madrid's going to play PSG, and there's some Europa League on Wednesday. You know, watch that. Uh, don't watch this. I mean, look, from a betting point of view, I've been anti-sporting, and I'm still anti-sporting, so I don't have any interest in betting them at all, uh, no matter what the price is. Now, if the lineup comes – but the, the thing is, by the time the lineup were to come out, and then the market starts, you know, you're going to miss out on. Right. That's, but that's why I'm saying. Number, which is, which is to Michael's point, right. You grab the number now and okay, maybe city does play Cole Palmer and, you know, uh, Ederson doesn't get the start and, you know, Ruben Diaz has got an injury. So he's out for a while now. So like, there are some things where city where you're like, ah, oh, you know, maybe they're a touch overvalued, but like BJ mentioned in the same sense, you know, it's like, okay, we're not going to play Jack Grealish today. We're only going to play. Riyad Mahrez and Phil Foden. Gundogan just, instead of Kevin De Bruyne. Oh, man. Yeah, exactly. So no interest for me in betting this match. You said oh, right, you, City, we're getting ready for the draw. Let's see who we get in the quarters. It could be, could, could be good. If you if you are betting sporting, like you you should just do it now. And because the bet is, it's basically a, par, a three-leg parlay of will Pep play his reserves? Will sporting play there? Because why would they risk players too will they play I, I still think it's an away day in the champions league at man yeah, city like you're no, gonna give it a go right but just i'm just saying like this this is what you're you're betting on right like i i think they will too but you're betting on that that and then the third leg of course is is them winning which uh will be the trickiest part um but that is it for the champions league uh for tuesday and wednesday but there is some premier league too as well on thursday afternoon we'll start with uh we'll start at carroll road with uh, Norwich City, 11-1 on the money line, hosting Chelsea, minus 370. The draw here is plus 475. Norwich City, God love them, gave it a real go a couple weeks ago. It looked like, hey, you know, maybe they will get out of the relegation zone or at least make a scrap of it. Doesn't look that way anymore. 0-0-4 win draw loss in their last four Premier League matches, 12 goals against, two goals for. I'm not really looking too much into their FA Cup with um, Liverpool because I think it would have behooved them to lose that match if they are. It's truly trying to stay up and they haven't created over an expected goal, one expected goal in any of those matches, the schedule, not the easiest city, Liverpool, Southampton and Brentford. That Brentford game is the one I'm looking at the most because they just did not look good. I know Dean Smith was talking about the, the refs a lot, but I, I thought Brentford was a better team, full value for from start to finish. And Chelsea uh, surprised us all by going to Burnley and pulling, pulling out the win. Uh, so easily it was nil nil at halftime Chelsea ends up winning four nil in a really really impressive second half up there at Turf Moor 
I'll be passing on this one pretty easily. I think it's just, this is a, a weird, weird matchup. Don't really think Norwich has a chance. Chelsea looking better of late. I think we could say so easy one to, to look away from, for me, BJ, anything for you canaries and the blues. Yeah. Happy, happy to pass on this. The last time these two teams met, if you remember, it was a seven, nothing drubbing by Chelsea, but I think they created only around like 2.8 expected goals. It was one of the, it was basically like the peak of the, the Chelsea overperformance. Uh, but now, like you said, they've been looking a little better. Uh, it's, 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 it's an easy pass for me. And Norwich, what is it? One goal for 30 against, against the, the top seven this year. So, and, and Anthony thinks that they're going to score again. And here. so, yeah, like, it's just, it's an easy pass. I'll, I'll let Anthony tell everybody how, I don't know how, but how Norwich is going to score a goal. <laughs> so if you guys are, you know, loyal listeners of the pod, we appreciate you. Uh, two weeks ago, Norwich went to Anfield. They were plus 130 to score. And in the first minute of the game, I, I had still was pulling up the TV, but I got the, the flash score thing where it says like big score. And I'm like, oh my God, Norwich scored in the first minute. Like this is the greatest day of my life. They ruled them off sides. So I'm like, all right, well now we are, there is no chance we're scoring. And I'm watching the game the whole time. And I'm like, nope, no chance. And then they get a deflected goal and I screamed. I mean, it was incredible. Because no longer can we say that Norwich has not scored against any of the big six in West Ham this season. They now have one goal. They only had about 0.7 expected in that match against Liverpool. But you know what? We'll take it. Uh, It was a beautiful cash. The number is not there for me on this one. They are plus 110 to score. I would need plus 120, 130 to think about it. If it gets to that, I'm going to play it. Because again, I mean, how could you not watch the first half at Burnley and think, man, Chelsea's really been getting the let off here. I mean, missed an open net. They were discombobulated at the back and they refocused at halftime. They turned on the Jets. They scored four deserved winners. Good performance from Chelsea. But I'll be honest, I was watching the first half and I was like, Burnley, you know, I didn't, I didn't have Burnley, but I was thinking like, man, Burnley really is going to score here. Wonder who Chelsea has next. So I went on to my mob app and I said, oh, Norwich away. That's going to be a good price for, uh, for a little Norwich team total over. Uh, again, the price isn't there, but it's close. And uh, don't be surprised this come Sunday or Saturday or Thursday. If you see me put Norwich team total over a half, if we get like plus 120, I'm going to play it uh, and it's going to suck. But I think Chelsea's defense continues to just outrun this regression mania forever. They had a period where they were conceding like a goal every game in December and January. And I think their attack is, is clearly better. I mean, Reese James has made them better. Kai Havertz is really playing excellent right now. Pulisic Havertz. Mount is just like an awesome front three. And I think their attack's going to improve, especially with James back. But the defense still has problems, I think. So we'll see. Southampton are even money favorites at home, hosting Newcastle United, plus 270. The draw here is plus 260. <sighs> Newcastle, man, 5-3-0. and Win draw loss in their last eight with a plus seven goal differential. The fourth most points in the Premier League since Boxing Day, despite playing fewer matches than basically everyone in that span. The Eddie Howe revolution and Newcastle, it looks legitimate. Uh, I didn't think this was going to be we're all wrong. Yeah. I didn't think this is how it was going to go, but I mean, he's getting some really good performances out of players who out of nowhere, uh, Joe Linton is kind of the poster boy for that. Um, they were, I think a little fortunate to get away with the win against Brighton. It was basically a coin flip. On the other hand, Southampton, they were pretty poor against Aston Villa. This, I thought this was going to be a pretty good opportunity to um, once again, sell Holly and Newcastle, maybe buy low on Southampton, but uh, that didn't seem to be the case with the number, uh, even money on Southampton. 
not that enticing. If it does get up there, uh, I'll be on it. But BJ, you think Saints are still worth it? Yeah, you can find some plus 105s, plus 110s out there for Southampton. I Like you mentioned, I think this is just a really good uh, buy low, sell high spot for both these teams. Obviously, Southampton coming off that dropping by Aston Villa, but it really wasn't as bad as it, it seemed. You know, Aston Villa capitalized on a lot of their counterattacking opportunities, but Southampton ended up holding 62% possession. Their pass per defensive action was around 8.2, and they still created close to one expected goal. So while Newcastle, like you mentioned, their 2-1 win against Brighton wasn't that convincing. They allowed Brighton to hold 68% possession, uh, and Brighton also had 32 touches in the penalty area compared to only 17 for Newcastle. So Newcastle's obviously been on this good run. They've gotten out of the relegation fight, but their underlying results are telling me a little bit of negative regression is coming. So if you take out If you go to their last six matches, you take out the match against Brentford where they were up a man for 80 minutes of the match. They have a plus five actual goal differential and only around a plus 2.2 expected goal differential. And this matchup against Southampton, there are some worrying signs here for Newcastle. They don't play well through pressure. In fact, since the January transfer window, Newcastle's offense pass per defensive action is around 8.4, which is fifth worst in the Premier League. So I'm guessing they're probably going to struggle quite a bit against uh, Southampton's frenetic pressing. When these two teams met earlier in the season, I know circumstances have changed pretty big since then, but Southampton did completely dominate them. 3.6 expected goals, only 1.4, and were really unlucky to draw 2-2. Southampton also much better at home uh, than they are on the road, plus 5.3 expected goal differential at the St. Mary's Stadium versus minus 7.6 on the road. So I like the Saints at plus 105. I have them projected at minus 115, so a little bit of value on the Saints' money line. Anthony, I think if this game was played two months ago, it would have felt like an auto over. But now, weirdly, with Eddie Howe, who's known as a, let's say, defensively ignorant manager, uh, and Ralph Hassenhudel and Southampton have been kind of, they feel like an over team as well. You're still thinking under now. It wasn't that long ago. Southampton was, you know, underperforming their expected goals, couldn't finish a chance, uh, languishing at the bottom of the table, you know, felt great about my under point total, uh, you know, times have changed. And I think the, the, the market's really changed. I mean, you're, you're almost at, you're over two and three quarters here. It's closer to two to three than it is to two and a half. Uh, it's a little high, not quite high enough for me to go under, but that would be certainly the look. Newcastle's attack has improved for sure under Eddie Howe, but I'm, I'm, it just feels like the kind of game where when you look at the fact that Southampton has run ridiculously hot 20, I mentioned it last time, 21 goals from 15 expected in 10 games. Now 11 games uh, is well above what you'd expect given the talent level, almost two expected goals a game. There is going to be some regression coming. I still have them power rated as the 14th best team in the league right now. Uh, and they're sitting up there in 10th, you know, so I'm not quite a believer in them, but I'm also not really a believer in Newcastle either. And when that's the case and both attacks have been creating and scoring a lot of chances, there, there tends to be an, a natural under situation. But again, BJ mentioned it stylistically, there was almost five expected goals, I think in the first meeting. So it's a pretty concerning uh, matchup perspective with Southampton causing problems with their press and then conceding chance at the other end they just play these frenetic games. It's almost like a Bundesliga match in some ways. And so that scares me to play the under here with, with them right now, with the way that their games have been going. So I would lean towards the under, but if I, if I can get, if I can't get three, I'm probably not playing need three. Roy Hodgson and Watford. (laughs) It's hilarious what he's been doing with them Uh, for the first 22 games of the season. As we've noted, zero clean sheets for Watford Uh, since then. 
he's got three. <laughs> uh, and that is just in seven matches. So good for Roy. It's fun to watch him do this. Uh, Watford under Hodgson, one, two, and four, win, draw, loss, four goals for 10 goals against uh, 7.1 expected goals for 8.74 expected goals against. So an actual market improvement on defense for Watford from where they were under Cisco and Claudio Ranieri. Wolves, on the other hand, Wolves are funny to me because there's only a few teams in the Premier League who have drawn fewer matches than Wolves. Uh, they have four on the season. I think there's three teams with three and then a bunch with four. And they play to such a style or they've, their their games have had such a, have been such draw-friendly environments. 1.74 total goals per game in Wolves matches, which is the, the lowest in the Premier League by half a goal so far this season. And still, uh, no draws in their last nine matches for Wolves. They're 5 0 and 4 win draw loss with a plus two goal differential and a minus four expected goal differential. I think Watford hangs with them here. Hodgson's defensive improvement does seem to be legitimate. The question is whether or not they'll be able to score enough to keep themselves hanging around the Premier League uh, past the season. And I think that's a legitimate question. But I think in this match, they shouldn't have too much of a problem considering this Wolves attack is, is a little bit toothless uh, this season. So I'm I'm going to take a shot on the draw here. I think once, just like I was mentioning with Real Madrid and PSG, which is a very similar matchup as to Wolves and Watford. Uh, I just don't think that the draw will ever be out of play here. Oh, zero, zero, one, one is definitely not out of the question. So plus two fifty on the draw for me, Wolves and Watford. BJ, anything for you here? No, I'm happy to pass here. Uh, I have Wolves projected at minus one hundred seven. I can't figure them out. Uh, obviously, it was a nice cash uh, Crystal Palace this past weekend, but. Watford, man, they're just they they still had a lot of a lot of leakiness against Arsenal on Sunday, and that worries me if Wolves this Wolves attack ever decides to to show up and play up to the level of their talent. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm happy to pass on this one. Maybe potentially looking at both teams to score if we can get it at you know plus one ten, mm-hmm. plus one twenty, maybe. But other than that, it's a pass for me. Anthony didn't want to say my two favorite words. Yeah, there's no way you're sitting this one out though. No, absolutely not. I'm on Watford plus a half. Uh, Wolves, finally, right? The regression is coming. Three straight losses, three straight deserved losses. Uh, they almost stole the result against Arsenal. It pained me. The fan in me, the Tottenham fan in me, was pained by that last second goal that Arsenal scored. But the analytics person in me appreciated it because it was so deserved. And I'm tired of this Wolves team. I'm fading them into oblivion. Uh, and I'm going to continue fading them. I faded them uh, against Palace, and I'm fading them again here. I, I just don't – I can't get to the number either. My numbers make Wolves plus 130, so I've got Watford minus 130 to get a point. I can get them at minus 115 right now. Minus 120s are out there. So not a huge value play, but again, with the regression indicators for this Wolves team, again, they actually overperformed defensively, uh, conceded 2.6 expected goals if you include the penalty. Uh, Palace had the same number of shots – and this was at Molyneux, where, again, Wolves are bottom half of the table. They're 14th in expected goal difference at home. Watford's the much more desperate team. And I, I was pretty impressed by Watford's performance today. Arsenal, credit them, had a couple of really great attacking moves to score their goals. It didn't feel like Arsenal were totally dominating the match. Watford consistently looked dangerous on the counter. Uh, they had a few chances that I thought you know they could have taken and really made this game in that match more interesting. And they almost did equalize late, uh, scoring a late goal in like the 86th minute. Great play from Musa Sissoko, uh, but really a, a, an encouraging attacking performance. Well over one expected goal. I think they can counter effectively here against Wolves and this Wolves attack. I mean, 
four expected goals, their last two matches against West Ham and Palace, who are above average defenses, but not great ones. And Watford, I think, sets up perfectly to sit deep, make Wolves try to beat them. Wolves probably can't do that. And then hit them on the counter and, and steal a goal here and, and maybe even win this match. Oh, man. Roy Hodgson. Um, I do not like the over for the record. <laughs> well, I'm glad you clarified. Glad you clarified that one. All right. Uh, let's wrap up the Premier League slate for this week with Leeds United. Jesse Marsh's Leeds United. They're plus 180. Hosting Aston Villa, plus 155. The draw is plus 245. It's another Thursday afternoon kickoff. How about this for Leeds? 2.14 expected goals for only 0.36 allowed in a 1-0 loss to Leicester City over the weekend. That is as unleads as it gets, I think. It's their, it's their best, the best expected goal differential of the season in any match. <laughs> they lose. Uh, Wasn't it their debut. best defensive performance as well? Yes. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, and, <laughs> and they find a way to lose it. It's That is... Five-year contract extension for Jesse Marsh right away. <laughs> well, I guess that, that begs the question, right? Like, I like leads. I know you both like leads. I like them on the money line at home to get the job done. Are we reading too much into just one game from... Jesse Marsh's tenure at Leeds and, and the defensive improvement in that game, which was going to come. Like there was no way this team was that bad defensively. and was going to continue to play that bad defensively. Uh, but I also think that Aston Villa is the type of team, even if, if Leeds, if this, if there is some, uh, there are some growing pains defensively for Leeds Villa's offense, isn't the type to really take advantage of that. So I don't really fear going against them, especially on the road with the team that can score like Leeds. So, I'll take the Peacocks plus 180. BJ, what are your thoughts? Absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned it. Uh, only 0.5 expected goals allowed, only seven shots to Leicester, 19 for Leeds. Really, really dominant performance. I think the main reason for that is because Marsh switched them to a 4-2-3-1, provided a lot more defensive structure uh, instead of this you know, man-pressing type system with a lot of openings for the opponents. The weird thing though, is Leeds is pressing numbers. Weren't really that successful. Only 25.6 pressure success rate, 11.2 pass per defensive action, which you could say is a tad concerning considering they had over 190 pressures, which is actually over the average under Bielsa. However, they're going to have a much easier time pressing against Aston Villa, who is third to last in the premier league in offensive passes per defensive action. And in that crazy three, three draw that they had against Villa, I believe it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Leeds did have a 39% pressure success rate. So if they're able to press at some type of success rate near that, it's going to be a really, really advantageous spot for them, especially at home. It also looks like they're going to get Patrick Bamford back, which would obviously be massive for their offense, and maybe even Calvin Phillips, which would just be so, so huge for their defense to continue to trend in the right direction, especially playing – in a 4-2-3-1, which is what he played at with the English English national team at the Euros and was maybe one of their best players of the entire tournament. Aston Villa, yes, they obviously, you know, smashed Southampton on Saturday, but it was the first time under Steven Gerrard that they've created over two expected goals. They're still only averaging around 1.15 per match. And with the improvements on the Leeds defense after one match, I think it's a really good spot for Leeds. I don't think they should be slight underdogs here at home. So uh, and, you know, the thing with Aston Villa is they're comfortably in the mid table. They're nowhere near the relegation fight. Leeds is desperate now. They need this. They need a result and they need three points for this one. So, you know, Leeds, Leeds draw no bad is plus 105. That's where I'm going. I love I love the Peacocks. Yeah, I think uh, there's always that that balance in betting, whether you were buying high on a team or are you trying to beat the market to actually where they're heading? 
Uh, and that's, that's what'll be interesting with this Leeds team coming up. And, and like you said, this is all the motivation in the world for one side, none of the motivation for the other. Uh, and a team that, as you said, too, just doesn't really punish defenses. Anthony, uh, make your case for the Peacocks. Yeah, I mean, BJ mentioned it. These two teams did just play a few weeks ago. Uh, I was on Leeds then. I'm on Leeds again. I think the number is still wrong. Leeds have been much better at home this year than they've been away from home. They've just been pretty unlucky at home when you look at the expected goals versus actual goal numbers. Jesse Marsh continues with the tradition of his teams not playing up to their expected numbers. This goes all the way back to Leipzig early in the year. The reason he was fired, yes, they had defensive issues. Yes, the players didn't like him. Yes, they had you know stylistic tactical issues. But the main thing, they just really underperformed their expected goal numbers, and they were much lower in the table than their actual results expected them to be. And they haven't really played any better, Leipzig, and they have shot at the table. wonder why. Uh, I think Leeds actually showed that when you get rid of that man-marking system and you play a little bit more controlled, that they can be a decent side. I think it's important to not man-mark against this Villa team because if you go back and look at the three goals Villa scored, two of them were direct counterattacks. Two of them were Coutinho losing a man, Jacob Ramsey losing a man, and then them getting completely ripped apart. I think they'll be more controlled, much more able to resist these counters, better at counter-pressing. Uh, leads, you mentioned the 39% press success rate, took the stat right off my notes. Uh, absolutely a major key was, was pressing them and creating chances off of that and controlling the game, and that was at Villa. So I think they're going to be able to uh, do the same thing here and win this match. I think Marsh gets his first win. I took them draw no bet plus 105. Fine with the money line as well. Wonderful. So all three of us on Leeds United against Aston it's a Villa. It's a grouper, a grouper on, on the Peacocks. All right, real quick, let's just touch on Europa League. You guys can just run down your cards in a minute or so. BJ, let's start with you. What do you yeah, got? Yeah, West Ham plus half a goal uh, on the road against Sevilla. Sevilla, we talked about it a lot, but they've just been really underperforming for quite a long time. Since November 20th, a little over a minus three expected goal differential in La Liga. And so... We can take a little bit of, uh, of what they did against Dinamo Zagreb because Dinamo Zagreb was in West Ham's group. West Ham did dominate Zagreb in the first leg, and then the second leg didn't really mean much. The two matches that Sevilla had against Zagreb, I mean, they, they were good, but not, I wouldn't say they were the most impressive thing in the world. It's a good number here, especially when we're looking at expected goal differential. West Ham's is actually getting pretty close to what Sevilla's is, and England is a better league than uh, Spain's, so... I think you're getting a decent price. I have the I have the match projected pretty close to a pick'em. So uh, the hammers plus half a goal at minus one twenty five is where I'm going for one. And then the second one, real quick, Braga Monaco uh, under two and a half goals at minus one twenty. Monaco best defense in France, only, only allowing around 0.8 non penalty expected goals per match. Braga very good defensive outfit uh, in Portugal, allowing under one expected goal per match. So going to be a pretty cagey uh, type affair, and that's kind of what you saw from Braga in their uh, matches against Sheriff. They weren't that effective going forward uh, on the counter and even really holding a lot of possession against uh, the Moldovan side. So it's hard-pressed to see how they're going to break down uh, Monaco. So uh, under two and a half goals is where I'm going in Monaco and Braga. And Anthony, uh, you want to tell the people about Real Batiste. I do. I agree with BJ on West Ham. I have them even teams. Uh, I think England is better than Spain by quite a margin. I'm not the biggest West Ham believer, if you guys listen, but um, I do think Sevilla is probably the most overrated, second most overrated team in all of Europe right now. When you look at their numbers, there's just not a whole lot to like about them. They're not creating shots at the same rate they always do. Their crossing has not been great. West Ham's pretty good at defending crosses as well. It's a big key when you're playing Sevilla. I think they get the point away from home, and then it's anybody's match when they go back to London. 
Atalanta is minus 120 to advance against Leverkusen. I'm probably not going to play the money line in the first leg, but I do think Atalanta is considerably better than Leverkusen uh, and will go through there. Uh, a little bit of a concern with the man marking against Leverkusen in transition uh, stylistically, but I think Atalanta controls large portions of that match. And then again, I'm just going to keep fading Real Batiste and I'm going to take Frankfurt plus a half a goal on the road here. I'm, I'm not... I was hoping for so many different teams for Batiste to play here, but I'm okay with Frankfurt. Uh, Frankfurt, a little bit fortunate to not concede more than they have in the Bundesliga. But when you look at, at Real in, in Spain, I mean, nobody's ever performing more than them. So I think regression continues to come for them. They were very lucky to get by Zenit. Very controversial call in, in stoppage time. They probably shouldn't have gone through. At least they should have gone to extra time and they were not the better side in either of the, of the two matches. So uh, I'm going with Eintracht Frankfurt plus a half a goal as well. Wonderful. Uh, let's move on to our favorite bets for the Champions League this week. The first second legs of the round of 16. BJ, uh, we'll start with you. Yeah, Real Madrid, PSG over three goals at plus 115. Real Madrid's game plan in the first leg was quite shocking and concerning to me. They really tried to sit back uh, and really see the game out defensively and hit PSG on the counter, which is great and that can work, but really sloppy in transition offense. That'll change in this match since they're down a goal. They have to come out and play offenses, which is going to open the match up even more. And that's also going to be a problem for Real Madrid defensively because no Casemiro, who is vital to their defensive transition, and also no Ferlan Mendy, who's also a very big vital part of getting forward and helping out in the attack and also defending on the right flank there, uh, defending Messi. So that's also a problem for Real Madrid. PSG created close to 2.6 expected goals in the first meeting Real Madrid creating close to 1.8 expected goals per match in the most defensive league in Europe. So I think this match is going to open wide up. I have around 3.3 goals projected for it. So I like over three goals and plus 115. Anthony, you and I uh, have our best bets in the same match, but they are a little different for me. I like an all total, a big price Salzburg and Bayern Munich over five and a half goals. That's plus 425 or a 19% implied win probability. The Bayern defense uh, has been struggling lately. Nine goals allowed in their last six matches, and their underlying metrics suggest that poor defensive form is legitimate. Then you enter a Salzburg side that can score. They scored in six of seven of their Champions League matches thus far. Uh, some of those matches include games against great defensive sides like Sevilla and Lille. We know Bayern can score at will, and we know that this match, it's 1-1 going into the second leg. So if Bayern goes ahead, Salzburg's going to have to open up to get the tying goal and that should open the floodgates at one end or the other. So I think that this game has goals written all over it. So I'm going to chase a big price plus 425 on over five and a half goals in Salzburg and Bayern Munich. Anthony, close it out. Yeah, I'm going to go RB Salzburg plus two at even money. Bayern's had some serious issues lately, and it really comes down to the fact that they have key injuries at three positions that they are not very deep at. Center midfield, Leon Goretzka has not played in a while. Their expected goals numbers have taken a bit of a hit at both ends of the pitch since he's been gone. Left back, Alfonso Davies, also out for this match. They don't have great cover for him. And Manuel Neuer, the ever-trusting goalie, also out for this match. They've rotated between a back three and a back four, trying to control transitions. It didn't work against Salzburg in the first match when they played a back three and had two attacking wingbacks. It didn't work when they played a back four against Bayer Leverkusen and conceded almost two expected goals, probably uh, deserved to really, you could argue, lose that match over the weekend. And Bayern, the last six matches in all competitions, conceded over eight expected goals. I just don't trust this defense enough to lay the two. I'm happy to take 
two goals with Salzburg, who should be able to press defensively and stay in this game and, and score one goal to really make this a competitive tie. I do think Bayern goes through, but I think it's going to be more competitive than most are expecting. All right, uh, that wraps up another episode of Wonder Goal. We will be back on Thursday morning to discuss the Premier League and the European Domestic Leagues. But until then, we wish you the best of luck on all your bets this week. 